Enter the crib. Your strike back sit rep starts in three, two, one. Wait, do we go on zero? All right, Meebers, welcome back to the sit rep. We are here to talk about episode eight. I am fairly certain we are going to get through this entire episode without crying. Even both our interviews, it'll be amazing. <laughs> I'm sure it will be welcome for all of you. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Deb. And there are spoilers ahead, as always. Wow, episode eight. <laughs> this one was a fucking mind-blowing episode. Uh, <laughs> Definitely Deb. an episode eight. Did yeah. not disappoint. Yeah. Well, so what did you think overall about the episode? I thought it was fantastic. Absolutely. I mean, I I always really look forward to the episode eight because it, it usually is a mind-blowing episode and kind of wraps everything usually lets us know what's really going on and this absolutely did not disappoint i mean it disappointed because of what the reveals were right but as but the episode itself was just packed with information and action and wtfs and yeah <laughs> it's kind of whoa kind of my yeah life. i mean it was it was like there were some because there were like a bazillion what the fuck moments and reveals and shit like packed into this episode some I felt like we've seen sort of teases of that you kind of Whitehall's at it again no big fucking surprise even though we were hoping because James and Coltrane have his history but okay like I you need to go back and watch because like Mahir's like CIA and just like all of this stuff is going on and it's just crazy it was a lot of notes that are just capital letters (laughs) <laughs> lots of stars like this yeah is yeah yeah oh no it's yeah exactly i'm trying to think i'm like okay if i just look at the first page i have fuck holy shit oh my god and then fuck just in the like <laughs> in the bottom of my notes because i just was like i need to remember that this was like mind-blowing yeah uh in minute six there was another yeah. mind-blowing yeah <laughs> It was, Stop. yeah, it was incredible. So I ha- I want to start off really quick and just say a hats off to Jack Lothian because uh, if you listen to our preseason, you heard him <laughs> talk about having that guy teasing me a lot and Deb some, although she's not a uh, fan girly over Joe Taslin. Hottie McCotty pants. <laughs> Hottie McCotty pants uh, from Warrior, which is the lead of the raid, and like how... We had mentioned and wish he could come on strike back. And so <laughs> we thought he was teasing us about that. And he was, except being Jack Lothian, he is layers. And if you notice, the guy from the other guy from the raid was in this. And I just like died laughing when I saw him. And I was like, Jack sort of told the truth. It's like a first. So. <laughs> well, he told the truth the oh, way geez. Jack tells the truth. <laughs> I'm gonna give you this little grain, but then I'm gonna totally yeah, yeah. twist it. <laughs> and I just, I just like picture Jack sitting there as he was telling us about the guy from the raid, and the little smirk on his face <laughs> has suddenly new meaning. <laughs> so instead, instead of Joe Taslim, who was the goody in the raid, we got Yayan Ruyan, who was the baddie yeah. in the baddie so yeah yeah so so good yeah so so that was amazing okay so i think we need to do this again out of order and just go straight to what the fuck moment 
uh, because which one that feels like what most of this episode was exactly it was just one big WTF I I don't know I, I mean is it that we finally got the full story on Spencer or is it you know Zayef doing the just playing them with the whole um, yeah. forgiveness thing oh I mean, there were so many or Chetri, oh my God, Chetri, no, yeah. oh no, no, or <laughs> Dimachi being a Russian agent. Or killing her own son. But, yes, that was my big one. It was like, I think because it was just the most, like, just primal level betrayal that, you know, I mean, it, oh, it was just so disturbing. Like, oh my God, she killed yeah. her own son. Yeah. I loved you. Pretty Lark. Oh, yeah. Oh. He was good. I really, uh, Maxim Baldry, he was very good. Yeah. At, even as he's, oh. you know, lying there dead, the, his last look is right at her with, you know, oh, yeah. with a what the fuck look on his face. So. Yeah, that was, yeah. Oh, God. This, this is so much. Mine was the reveal of her as a Russian agent. I did not see that coming at all there was to me like the 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 not know the guy at the plain gray the comment about like how did you learn this but i'm just like she's in the fucking mafia mm -hmm. like of course you learned this and the stuff with the british were like okay so zayef has this connection to the british although mahir being like cia and then my six was pretty mind-blowing but still like okay okay and then when they're like and she's russian i was like <laughs> what what like oh Holy shit, what the fuck? Like, that gets all the expletives. It was great. Um, it's like, you, I, I just pictured Jack with, like, a little chart of when do I make the reveal, you know, the yeah. levels of what the fuck in this episode. <laughs> yeah, okay, right. Okay, here's one, here's two, here's three. Oh, let's put this last one in. <laughs> like, oh yeah, my god, yeah. Jack. And that what an is episode a big eight. one. Yeah. I mean, my god, I just can't. Yeah, I, I did not see that coming at all and I gotta ask you because you always pick up like you know with last year with Alec and stuff you pick up on stuff faster than I do because I I just like blind myself and I'm like emotions <laughs> and you're like smart viewer <laughs> um, <laughs> so did you did you suspect that she was Russian no, no. Jack definitely yeah. got me with that one that just and yet there were clues along the way. She just knew too much. You know, you could you could yeah. keep telling yourself there were other reasons, but I mean she just really knew too much. You know, once it's revealed, you're like, Oh yeah. Um, good God. I mean Yeah. Wow. This episode just was wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Incredible. Wow. Okay. Okay, so Big what the fucks. All right, so what was your fight of the night then? You know, it's really funny. You look back on the episode and you're like, were there any fights? <laughs> because there's so much. It's got to be that whole. And there were. There were several great fights yeah. in it. But it, if we're going to just go with, you know, actual fights and attacks and stuff, it has that whole attack on them from the CIA, you know, when the mm. drone start, you know, when Chetri figures it out and the drone hit and the, and it just goes on and on. And then, you know, Wyatt in the train, in the train area, yeah. Ruyan, and I don't even 
remember what his name is actually in, you know, fighting off the mercs and yeah, even, you know, Spencer realizing, oh my God, you know, I'm going to get hit in this too. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I did love the whole, you know, when it came down to having to, to fight off the mercs and he's got the gut shot and stuff that complete throwback to the original strike back and how that ended with, you know, the good guy baddie sacrificing himself to save the yeah. team with a yeah. grenade. I mean, that was a throwback to the original strike I back. I didn't catch that, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just like, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's it. That's all I got. Yeah, I was gonna, yeah, to me, the same thing. I mean, that was great. Although I did love all the stuff on the ship was really yeah. cool. Oh, and yeah, they did yeah, that yeah. was really neat. But yeah, I think um, uh, Mad Dog, I don't know, yeah. I only know him by his name in the raid, fighting Wyatt. Because, I mean, we know, I, for, I don't remember who it was, somebody who follows a sit rep, and I'm so sorry because somebody had asked and they tagged us and they asked who would win in a fight, Wyatt versus Novin. And I'm, um, my pick is right. Novin because she is like phenomenal. Wyatt is really good at what he does, but hand to hand is just not his, it's not his forte. And we saw that again. I mean, he, he, you know, is almost going down and has to be sort of saved. Um, uh, yeah. So anyways, I just love seeing, uh, Wyatt get beat up. <laughs> no, that's okay. Yeah. Uh, it just was great shot. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, his final words to him, you know, I, I forget exactly what it was, but, it, you know, his last words were, I have a team. Right. Which throw back to, to their first season, um, season six with, you know, I don't need a team. So that was really sweet, I thought. Sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Not sweet. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah, but it is like a, it shows a growth in Wyatt for depending on them, you know, I mean, they're, they're all sort of hanging by the strings anyways, but he knows, he knows that, that Nova and, and Coltrane and Cheddar's to a degree have, have his back still. Um, so yeah. Okay. Favorite emotional moment. Oh man. that That's a tough one in this, in this episode because there actually are, a lot of emotional moments you know each each characters kind of had their moment coltrane realizing he, when uh spencer shows up the you know to get them yeah. before the drone strikes and him confronting coltrane confronting him man and him just trying to hold it together when he realizes how deeply they've been betrayed you know the whole Zayef, Zayef's speech about um, forgiveness running through oh, this God. whole thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, do you do you trust him? Is he just playing them? Um, because he's a master manipulator. Oh, yeah. uh, and then I think at the end when he's, you know, when he's using that as now do you forgive me and does that whole speech about Mac and forgiveness and now do you, now do you forgive me? I mean, he's, you know, he's, he wants that bullet and it's again, something that's been referenced in this show before redemption in a bullet. Yeah. 
and um, Zayas chasing that bullet in that scene, and he's just masterfully doing it. And I, I think part of him was sincere and, you know, putting it out there that that's the only way this ever ends. And, you know, you people never learn. And uh, just there was so much in his sort of final moments where he's just putting the truth out there. You know, it's like, here it is. Here's, here's what it always comes down to. Are you going to are you going to get your vengeance? Are you going to, you know, carry out the vendetta or are you going to forgive me? And we saw what happened. No nope. yeah. bullet to the head. And that, you know, it's the, the, the whole, you know, the, the title of this is vendetta, but the underlying thing in this entire season is forgiveness. And once again, we went with violence instead of forgiveness, vengeance instead of, yeah. So I think, yeah, I, I'm going to go with that. All the emotions wrapped up in that. And then the whole, the aftermath of, of killing Zayef, that scene with Train being so consumed with it and Novin and Wyatt having to sort of bring him down and reconnect him. Yeah. So I was going to say, for me, it was, it's Cheddar's because Verada oh, just, yeah. she, this episode was so phenomenal you know, she, this was never supposed to be her. She, she was there right. for one, one mission. She was the rule follower, the one who pushed Coltrane on following the rules. You know, we saw, I remember that magic moment last season where mm. he looked like he was almost going to kill her because she was going to report him. And, and she feels so betrayed. Mm-hmm. Again. And betrays them and then betrays them again. And she's trying to do what's right. And God, I mean, yeah, I think that was surprising. Maybe shouldn't have been because she's she's not one of them. She's not callous in a way that they are. And so, yeah, I think that was that was. And she's yeah. so desperately grabbing, grasping for a return to normalcy, a return to the way things are supposed to be. And, you know, there's a chain of command. He's our superior. You know, who did we just just hear that there's a chain of command from, you know? And now, oh, God, Verada's so good this season. I mean, she was great last season, but, man, she has just... Stepped it up big time. Wow. God, does she have like the most magically emotional eyes? Yeah, <laughs> just she's so good. Yeah, she's just one of those one of those actresses who just comes alive in front of the camera. You know, they're they're just some people. As soon as that camera turns on, it's like they're just magic, and she is one of those actresses that it just boom, wow. Yeah, incredible. <laughs> really good. Which I think leads us straight into predictions. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, we know Section 20 has never been kind to the computer guy. Um, Zach prom I mean, Jack. Zach. Jack. <laughs> Jack. Jack promised. This is, I'm like so, I, I'm so overwhelmed with like fear for her. But uh, that I can't even like think straight. That, um, you know, he said... They'd never kill Cheddars. Uh, I we're counting on you, Jack. Yeah. 
I hope not, because she's, you yeah. know, she's just trying to do the right thing. And I think she's screwing the team twice in one episode. But mm -hmm. it's for what she feels is a good reason. I guess that, I mean, but of course that's the thing with every baddie in Strike Back. Or, you know, you're doing what you do where you think it's a good reason. Not that she's a baddie, but like she does something and, and to other people, the team is the baddie because they do something that they feel like is for the right reason. And I hope that she doesn't pay the ultimate price for this or that they don't. I don't know. I, I guess I don't have a prediction other than a plea. Please don't kill Cheddars. Yeah. Because it's not looking good. And it's just... Yeah. I mean, how are they going to get out of this? How are... They're black... All of them are blacklisted. The The only thing that can save them now is that... The thing that she's taken. Is that intel. Yeah. And yeah. And who's she going to turn it into? I mean... The people who just set her up. <laughs> yeah. There's just nowhere for them to turn. The only person who knew the truth that we, well, I guess the CIA woman knows the truth because, you know, the Americans are in on this whole horrible experiment. But, I mean, she just tried to completely wipe them yeah. out. So Yes, she not, doesn't seem like the helpful type. All I know is if there's any other nerds out there, the classic rule in Dungeons and Dragons is you don't split the party up because that's when people die. Right. And, uh, and Cheddar's just split the party up. So somebody, yeah. yeah, it's not good. So, oh my God, we forgot to tell you guys who's on this week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to call that it for episode eight. Then coming up, oh wait, you didn't do your predictions, did you? Sorry. Deb's going to do her yeah, predictions. Pretty much. <laughs> I predict we're going to cry. <laughs> pain. Pain. Next week is going to, I predict next week is going to be freaking amazing because, wow, what an episode eight. And it, you can only raise the bar even higher. So. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, this episode just, it blew our minds so much that we forgot our, uh, our normal intro. Um, coming up, your Jack's Facts. Here from uh, Dan McPherson, and then we have another two phenomenal uh, interviews for you. We have Nula O'Leary, who was the series producer for this year. You've heard her name from a lot of people for the last two years, so we were really excited to talk to her. And one of your favorite interviews from last year was Fraser McDonald, the second AD, and he is back to talk about everything. So we are really excited. You will enjoy both of those. We've got Overwatch. Jack's facts coming in. Okay, welcome back, Meepers. We are here with some awesome behind-the-scenes Jack's facts for episode eight. And I think we're calling this the poor old Jack's facts. Poor old Lorik Damachi. If only he just kept his mouth closed and respected his mother a bit more. It's a fond farewell to actor Maxim Baldry, who can be seen next on our screens in the forthcoming adaptation of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, which I'm excited about. I hope it's good. Yeah. I hope it's better than The Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Poor old Sir James Spencer. And all thanks to actor John Mitchie for coming in as a creator of Section 20. John is a big name in Scotland, having played Detective Inspector Ross on the popular hard-boiled crime show Taggart for 12 years. Taggart was famous for the following... 
exchange, <laughs> please say in your best Scottish accent. <laughs> what the fuck, Jack? <laughs> I'm not an actor. Uh, God. Okay. Uh. <laughs> uh no, I can't. Uh, there's, there's been a... Nope, that's not right. Um, uh, I'm like, the only accent I could do is like Texas. There's been a... Nope, that's still not Texas either. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I can't. I can't. Ooh, laddie. That's about as Scottish as I get. Okay. There's been a mur murder at Fur Hill. Sorry, Jack, I'm letting you down. There's a murder at Fur Hill every fortnight. If any American can figure out that joke without Googling it, you have my undying love and respect. That is not a joke for me. Sorry. <laughs> oh, oops, sorry. Poor old Cobble. That's the name of the private military contractor that Yayan Ruhian was playing. Yayan is, of course, known for the raid films, as well as John Wick 3 and Star Wars The Force Awakens. It was a tricky thing to schedule him into the show, and we managed to just about pull it off even if it meant a bit of script reshuffling along the way. He was a total star and lovely person to have on set and made one of the tougher days of filming a lot easier. Yeah, he was... Yeah, he's a badass, man. Oh, yeah. Poor old Zayef. Sure, he killed <laughs> Mac, but he had a lot of baggage to deal with, not to mention having to wear that big beard in an incredibly hot Croatian summer. Alex Sekaranu did a wonderful job, and if you've not seen his award-winning performance in God's Own Country, then we highly recommend it. Oh, I haven't seen God's Own Country. I'm going to have to go watch that. Highly recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Poor old Chetri. She was only meant to join the team to help them out on one mission, and now she finds herself blacklisted, disavowed, and on the run. Oh, God. I'm sure it will work out just fine, though. God. <sighs> That's you red flags. Jack, you oh, that's some big red flags. Oh man. All right, that's it for Jack's facts. Next up, why it's Wyatt's fault. We're not at Xville. Stay with us at the crib. Okay, we are back to discuss all the things that were wrong, all the things <laughs> Wyatt did wrong in episode eight. How mean were you? Where was Wyatt to? Cheddars in this episode, and what the heck? I mean, Ch then Cheddars. I think she felt so bad that she just said, "Screw you guys, I'm turning us all in." Why, like, like, like Cheddars? Like, what the heck? Like, already she gave Zarkova the, the the heads up about that kill order, and you've this, you know, Jack's kind of planted these seeds throughout the season of of Cheddars moral sort of decisions that she's she's going to battle with throughout the season. Wyatt thinks his way is always the right way, even with his kind of zen, cynical, worldly, kind of nihilistic faith that he has. <laughs> Mr. Which, sure, Sunshine. Okay. Like, like, that's Wyatt. That's what goes around in Wyatt's head, you know. Uh, he's still, you know, it's still like there's the unwritten rules of right and wrong, and like, fuck, Jettis, what did you do that for? Like, as if the situation isn't tough enough as it is. So, look, how, Wyatt's fault, uh, which, uh, what are you talking about? Like, how, which part particularly are you oh going to blame Wyatt for in here? Because 
I, I, I reckon he was pretty good. I mean, yes, yes, we had to outrun some heck of those explosions, by the way. But um, he was pretty. He was no, pretty I don't think anything was Wyatt's fault. No, I don't okay. think anything Wyatt's fault. <laughs> actually, I, I actually just ran my brain. And I think, I think, uh, I think it's Chetri's fault. Fair enough. Yeah. 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 And look, maybe she gets what she deserves. <gasps> oh! 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 God! <laughs> Which is a stern look from what you're talking about. We're not at Xville. Stay with us at the crib. Welcome back, Meebers. We are really excited today because we have a guest who has been with our new team, quote unquote, of Strike Back since the series rebooted. And um, she's gone from producer to series producer this year. And she's really, outside of Jack, she's our first producer that we've ever had on. So uh, Nula O'Leary, can you tell us what the heck does a producer do? Um, I guess you'd say a producer is a sort of problem solver, um, like a line manager. In, in sort of simplistic terms. I think there's different kinds of producers. You get producers that concentrate a lot on financial um, aspects of production, and then you get creative producers. And I think I'm, I'm certainly more a creative producer. And that what that entails is on a show like Strike Back, I'm, you know, from the moment that they say we're going and that we've got a, a new season, um, I will be in the room with Jack storylining putting together names for other writers that would, you know, potentially come and write alongside Jack didn't always happen because Jack is so good at it. But, you know, and then we would go from the writer's room. I, I put together the the script team. So they're the sort of editorial staff that will basically be across the scripts and help help Jack with um, you know, literally just getting the scripts out there so that we can distribute them to the crew. And so very early on in prep, a producer is the person that's responsible for crewing up, finding all your HODs. You know, on season six, when I started, there were a couple of HODs coming back, to, you know, to the show that had done it before. Obviously, you know, directors like MJ and, and DPs like um, JP Gossart and, and Mike Sprague all came back from the previous Scott and Stonebridge incarnation. So I was happy to sort of welcome them back. And then there were new people that we were sort of bringing into the fold. And, you know, that happens every season. So sometimes HODs don't come back. I think what's great about Strike Back is pretty much all of our HODs did from sort of season to season because I think that they, they, you know, they love the show. So that made my job a bit easier in, in prep because it would just be about getting those guys and gals dates down and making sure that they knew where we were going and, and all of that sort of stuff. And so, you know, all, while I'm doing that, all that, all that time, we're, we're right, you know, Jack's writing scripts and we're, we're prepping and we're trying to get as many scripts written basically by the time we start, um, start shooting. Because then sort of once you're shooting, you are also writing at the same time and everything then starts to to, to get compressed. And then you know, recce's obviously are really important when we're... Another wonderful thing about Strike Back is, you know, my passport used to be blank. And then, <laughs> and then I started shooting Strike Back and it's taken me to some of the most amazing places in the world. And um, we will, you know, we'd obviously go ahead of time and start to see what infrastructure was there. We, we have a fixing company, which is usually the local production company that will be um, our go-to people in that country that we're shooting at. In season six, we obviously shot Jordan and Budapest, and they were returning to Budapest, which was uh, a place where the Scott and Stonebridge years had also filmed a lot. So there was, you know, there were people that knew the show there, and we were sort of inheriting them 
which was which was great. It was certainly great for me as a, a, a new producer on that that series. It was knowing we were going somewhere where there were people that knew how to do the show, you know. And then season seven, Malaysia was was a whole new ball game. We'd never, I think, tried anywhere as exotic uh, and far away as that. So, um, actually, no, that's a lie. They, they did go to Thailand, didn't they, for a, for a bit? But um, but you know, the whole season out in Malaysia was 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 another big big leap for the show. So yeah, so we would go out, we would recce, it's sort of back and forth, back and forth. And then you all, once everything sort of looks like it's ready to go and greenlit, you all move out there into a big sort of production hub. And you do your last sort of eight to 10 weeks of prep out there on the ground. And that is, you know, day to day, that is constantly checking in on budget. Uh, that's all the, making sure the HODs have got what they need, facilities. Um, they're starting to crew up, obviously, get the, the local cu- uh, crew together. You know, you firefighting. There's all all countries you go to come with new challenges or, or you know just different ways of doing things. So you're sort of trying to integrate what you know the show needs into different structures. And that's the same for when we went to Croatia this year. There's there's certain things that you think will be difficult that you learned from the previous season. You're like, okay, well definitely we're going to do that better this time. And then it's that's not the problem. There's something else that's completely uh, you know more challenging. Um, so yeah, all, during that process, of, like I say, we're still writing, and we're prepping those early episodes, the sort of eps one and two, which are often tried to be sort of big and ambitious, um, you know, hit the ground running. Uh, so as a hands-on producer, so what I've always, I've always produced the first and second eps of all the seasons. So that just means again going out on local recce's, sourcing all the locations, banking those locations because if they're not quite right for for block one, they might they're going to be right for something down the line yeah and then you know then you get closer and closer to shooting and usually about two weeks out you, you're starting to you're starting to get itchy feet and, and want to just start shooting and blowing things up to be honest so <laughs> so yeah and yeah and then block one kicks off and from there on in it's sort of pretty much 24 weeks of non-stop and so I think producing because I deviated sorry producing is sort of juggling all of those it's juggling the relationships of the crew that you've got and making sure everybody's communicating, also trying to be a good communicator yourself. Um, and then the added element of welcoming a cast back either for the first time or, or again and trying to make sure that they're getting what they, they, you know, they need. Again, new countries, new challenges. There is a sort of structure that is strike back, but it will never quite be the same, you know, every time that you do it. Yeah, and then then you yeah then you start shooting, and then that comes with day to day challenges and firefights, and so the only thing I think a, a producer can do is try to be as prepared as possible for any um, anything that might happen. But of course, you'll never be quite prepared. There'll always be something that screws you on the day. But that that is the wonderful thing of Strike Back, I think, as well as how challenging it is as a show, and how fast moving it is, and how much we shoot each day. Uh, just what we managed to pull off. And I look at us in comparison to other shows and I'm, you know, I'm always pleasantly surprised, I think, and sort of proud of what we do. And well, you should be. I mean, it's really amazing what is, what is produced. It really is, you know, feature film quality on our TV screens. And we are really going to miss that because <laughs> it's so unique. Me, me too. I mean, I'm, I was thinking the other day, because obviously, you know, the producer's role continues after you finish shooting as well. You take all the material back. You're obviously editing at the same time as you're shooting. So everything starts to ramp up sort of about midway into blocks three. For, so episodes five and six, you'll start to be getting ADR for episodes for one and two. And so you're you're concurrently doing 
post as well as prep as well as shoot so you're constantly having to sort of put you know change your brain so that you can um try and objectively look at look at cuts and make sure okay is that is that working signing off those so that post can start to to get to get moving with the grade and everything but i always love returning back to london after the shoot and sort of my first sound mix sitting there and watching eps one and two come together and sort of seeing everything in one place all the you know all the vfx all the grade all the music and it's um yeah it makes the sort of it makes the stress of everything worth it yeah so i'm intrigued by because so we talked to dan for episode seven and he mentioned one of the things that was both very difficult and kind of pushed them to to a new level was doing two blocks in a row block three and four where you had lots of new people new directors, new DOPs, like like just lots of new people involved. And he said mm-hmm. that, you know, it was very it was very different for for them being like, okay, so now the cast and then sort of like you are like the only people who've been there the whole time and and having to take the lead. And I'm wondering if you can talk about sort of the difference between this season and and previous seasons and how you sort of manage when you have that. And I guess the other thing is what I know every series is going to be different, but what makes Strike Back more difficult for new people? Ooh, Sorry, that good was question. Complex. I mean, <laughs> it's a great question. I think Dan's right. It, it is um, the cast are, are one of the biggest constants on the show because they turn up every day to set, and yeah, they're faced with new directors, new DPs, and it, it is it, that is a challenge because often you want to have rehearsal time and you want to have face-to-face time. And it's, you know, when the juggernaut is sort of on the move and when strike back is, is like that because their time is so divvied up with rehearsals and, and going, you know, training just to keep in shape and they, yeah, they must feel kind of quite schizophrenic, I suspect. And so it faced with new people that don't know the show. I think it's always a, a sort of, there's, there's a moment when, it's like, oh, okay, I've got a, this is, this is quite a big thing to do. You know, it's, um, we shoot a hell of a lot in, in a day. We usually do sort of 10 hour continuous days, which means we have our lunch on the run. And, you know, in those cameras, we shoot two cameras in main unit and two cameras in second unit, and they are rolling all the time. And it's, we're doing big action sequences potentially on both units. So, you know, crew are sort of spread across and, and certainly on, on a block like block four with F seven and eight, with eps nine and ten looming and uh, all the ambition that they have and especially with it being the last couple of eps you know this season my time especially in croatia was sort of spent with jack getting the scripts up to shape and so yeah the cast are left with 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 um sometimes maintaining yeah that sort of that constant on set but i think they're always very welcoming to all the new people that come on board and they often help them sort of understand what strike back is. There is a strike back way of doing things. There is gunfights that are a strike back gunfight. You don't sort of, you know, there's ways of shooting them. And I think the cast kind of know that intrinsically as well. They'll sort of know when we're getting it and when we're not sometimes. Yeah, I mean, if I could have cloned myself this season, I would have, because <laughs> I love being on set. That's probably one of my favorite things. But you, you know, you're sort of, especially as a series producer, you're pulled between being in two places at once. So, but I think, I always think people do get there with, with Strutman. I think Eps 7 and 8, um, even though it probably was the block that had the most new people on it, I think it's still a very, you know, strong couple of episodes yeah. and very, um, 
yeah, very strike back. So, uh, yeah, it is always a challenge. And I think it isn't, it's not a simple, there's plenty of other shows that I think you could probably walk into and it's, you shoot, you know, four or five pages a day of sort of chat. But even our, or even our sort of chat, our crib scenes, you know, that can be sometimes six or seven pages, there's a real art to make, to, get to pulling those off. And, you know, especially with the energy that Strike Back has, keeping the camera moving, making sure all the actors get their opportunity to sort of shine in those scenes. And it's, um, I mean, I think in terms of getting people back as well, it's so busy in the TV industry at the moment. Well, it was. <laughs> Not at the moment. <laughs> Everything shut down. But um, you sometimes it's about timing. Sometimes you want, you know, there's people that you want to bring back, but you can't because they're on other shows. Or, but I think we always have a an ambition of, of bringing in great people, and I think you know we managed to pull that off. Yeah, I think so, and I agree with the seven and eight being phenomenal. Uh, eight, I think, is the most. Uh, we you know we do like a what, like your what the fuck moment, and I was. Deb and I were talking and I was like, I have like half a page of notes where everything's just in capital letters, which is like, as I'm taking the notes, like what are, and I was like, everything is, I don't understand. <laughs> like, it's like everything is, it is just chock full of yeah, it. I, I see every episode sort of 20, 30 times by the end. And it's, it's tricky sometimes to sort of I'd take a step back from them. But I think now that I've had a little bit of time, I think eight is probably the episode that most echoes those early chats that Jack and I had about wanting to really strip the team back this season, really look internally at what it is to be Section 20 in the, in this day and age and and the, the sort of moral decisions they have to make as soldiers and, you know, and the orders that they get and all that kind of thing. And, and so in terms of the story, they, we come off the back of episode six that is a very unique episode for Strike Back and something that we'd never done really before. Really strip the team back there. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, <laughs> so you know we find the team on mission but it's not just the external mission that we're we're sort of watching the team deal with it's it's the grief and the rage and Jack and I talked a lot about the fact that they're still soldiers and you know I that they don't strike us as people that would constantly be sort of breaking down and spilling their spilling their emotional guts in a sense so a is that sort of culmination I think of of the pressure being really on them externally you know the with the Spencer and with um with the Americans, but then it, it you know they get their bad guy and there he is in front of them and they get an opportunity and what do they do with that and how do they deal with the grief and uh, so I think by the end you know it's a very emotionally charged episode and really we see them yeah we see them strip back in that way that I sort of imagined initially when we were sitting in the writers' room and then you know in a wonderful Jack Lothian way you get the wrinkle that sort of sets up Eps nine and ten you know and where we're going to go from there which I can say is really, really fun, so. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> so, yeah as you've been talking, I've, there's like 8 million questions running through my brain um, and uh, how to throw them all out there. First, I, I'd love to, you, you talk about, well, you're, you're with Jack and you're working on scripts and I'd love to hear more about what that is actually like, because obviously Jack has an idea of where he wants all this to go. And then I'm guessing that you're, you're there because you have to operationalize all this. So how does that, how do you work as a team to do that? And then episode eight, we're always excited for episode eights because they're always the episode that sort of 
not only brings a whole bunch of stuff together, but then opens up a whole can of a new can of worms in terms of how it's all going to end. And, and this episode eight did not let us down. It had, a, you know, some huge reveals that I don't know why we didn't see that coming because it's always fucking Whitehall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, I don't know. Let's go back to the, to the, op, you know, the, how you work with Jack to write the scripts and operationalize the scripts, uh, and then maybe we can follow up on fucking Whitehall. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love working with Jack. He is, he's uh, hes brilliant. And it's, you know, I, I, he makes me laugh, and I think that's always a good start. So we, you know, we we sit in a room, and I, he's got a very clear idea, I think, of where we're, he's headed. But, you know, 42 minutes is a, is a long time to, is, it's a lot of time to fill. And obviously the scripts have to be a bit longer that, than that because, you know, once we've edited them down. So we're sort of always hitting around the 49.50 sort of um, page mark. And that gives us a good sense that we've got enough for, for an app. So, yeah, so it's a lot to fill. And I think we've always had, back, back when we're storylining, we, we sort of put a, a sort of mini Bible together where we've got some amazing research um, and then we throw down ideas for sequences that we would like to see, sequences that we've never done, or twists on sequences that maybe we've done before. Obviously, you know, there's a staple of fights and stuff like that. But, you know, what about a fight in a meat locker? Right? What, what about a fight in a in a bathroom? A fight, you know, there's there's multiple things that um that, that we we sort of want to weave in, and often it will be informed by locations as well. So what what will be happening is the locations team will be giving us packs and packs of, of locations and Jack and I will sort of sit there and be like, well, you know, this looks cool. This could be used for something or this for something else. Um, but ultimately, you know, we sit in a room and we've got a whiteboard and we sort of try to plot out the the key moments that we want across, across a block. And like I say, Jack will have a very good idea of it and it's just sort of putting meat onto, onto bones. And I... You know, I try and be useful and come up with the odd suggestion across the season that, that sticks. Or, you know, and certainly when, when Jack writes a script, you know, I will, I will read them, uh, obviously, and then feedback, you know, what's working, what's not, what can be, what I, I think, think can be changed. And he's, um, he's very fast. And often, often the great thing about Jack is his first drafts are very strong. So it's really sort of then uh, just, just molding them into something that, like you say, is, is shootable. And so where that comes in is I'm constantly talking to uh, to production, to the other people in production, that sort of locations department and just physical production to talk about what our limitations are on that block. You know, there is a pot of money that we need to juggle across the entire season. And you know, selfishly, if I want to save a bit of it for episodes nine and ten. I, I, you know, there's, I, I might sort of try to move, you know, there was, a, there was at one point on block four, we were going to go away for a week, but I think it became clear to us that we would need that time for later on in the season. So I'm juggling those things. And then, and then in terms of expectations with Jack, he's, I think he's, um, he's very good at knowing when I'm sort of saying, oh, that's going to be difficult. And it's like, okay, is it going to be difficult, but we're going to be able to do it. Or actually, I think we need to rethink this. And Nine times out of ten, we will find a way to do something. You know, the tanker, for example, was we were talking about that from block one. I've always, always wanted to flip a tanker, like an articulated <laughs> yeah. lorry. Ever since I saw Final Destination, you know, as a kid, it was just that. Was, I want to do that. Um, and so very early on, I was talking to Adam Howarth, our SFX guy, about how we would go about doing that, what kind of vehicle we would need. And, you know, saying to Jack, we've got to find a place for this if we can pull it off. 
and then over the course of looking into it you sort of start to realize okay we're not going to be able to afford a a seven tonner or, or whatever it is but we can afford something a little bit smaller and also with the fact that we were having to build the um petrol station because we strangely couldn't find a petrol station we could blow up um, <laughs> why but uh so you know you start to go okay we've well, got a pot of cash half of it can go on the, the tanker and half of it can go on this and you know we managed to make that to realize that stunt and i think rarely this season did i have to sit sit, to, sit down with jack and sort of say that this is just going to be one step too far i think sometimes with jack's scripts they are so packed with action and with uh, little flourishes that maybe on the page read is quite simple but actually when you sort of dig into them and when you when you really start to think about what it's going to take to achieve it they can actually be a lot more complicated than than they look so occasionally it will be a bartering you know i'll say i'll give you this but we've got to take that away yeah it's we it's horse trading, basically. <laughs> so I learned that from the first exec, uh, first um, series producer I worked under on Strike Back. It's sort of, yeah, you, you give with one hand and take with the other and you're constantly sort of trying to, to keep the equilibrium. But um, but he, like I said, Jack is great at responding to, we've got this, this and this, and he will sort of sometimes write to order. And I think that's how we managed to pull off so much action in an episode. Well, we obviously love Jack. He's been very kind with us and, and phenomenal. Uh, he does, um, I would say, maybe have a flair for the mischievous. Uh, <laughs> and that comes through both in his writing and in person. Um, it, he's delightful. Uh, so, but I am curious, because you said like nine times out of ten, you can find a way to make it work. Was there something that like jumps out at you that, that he had this idea for that you were like, there's just, it's absolutely never going to happen. Well, I mean, we'll always, always investigate it. I mean, I think actually this season, season, in, you know, the Croatian season, we, we pretty much managed, um, um, he might, you know, remind me of something, but we pretty much managed to pull most things off. I mean, the teetering truck in, in Ep 7 was a huge logistical and engineering piece. Uh, you know, it's, you've got three trucks, two cliffs, You've got a gutted truck, a truck that runs. Um, you've got a truck that's safe to put cast in. Uh, you know, at one point that did look possibly be, uh, beyond our means. And so, I, you know, I had to a couple of times sort of try to prep him for maybe that wouldn't happen. And he sort of would just look at me and and then I would leave and obviously try to. <laughs> but um, season seven back in Malaysia, right? sorry, your, your season six in Malaysia, there was, uh, it was a great scene he wrote at the start of, I think it was episode one um, where we're sort of in a plane and it's plummeting towards earth and it's, you know, there's a guy in a, in a mask and he's shot some people and then he's going to jump out. And, you know, some countries you'll go there and you'll, you can find bits of aviation equipment to use. Um, but in Malaysia, it was very tricky. We couldn't find a, a sort of, you know, inside of a plane and um, uh, the, the front of the plane, I can't remember the name of, but um, so we, we looked into building it. Um, and it was going to cost, you know, over $50,000 wow. to build something that probably had a screen time of about uh, probably less than a minute. So you start to start to think that's not viable, not if we want to spend money elsewhere that, you know, we're really going to get bang for our buck. So I think that was the only time, the big, where we had to rethink an entire sequence, basically, because we couldn't, couldn't pull it off. But otherwise, you know, the challenge... What's great about Strike Back is you've got so many great minds on it, you know, and in the crew, from stunts to SFX to, to production design. And, you know, where there is a will, there is a way most of the time. 
many, most of the time, many, many great minds, obviously. I mean, you really have to be at the top of your game to pull this show off. And it's amazing how many people work on this show who are just brilliant. This is a question I've had since episode one of this season because, and and maybe it's just me because I, I know the Scott and Stonebridge years so cold and so well, but as I'm going through these episodes, there, there are so many things that echo back to things that happened during the Scott and Stonebridge years. And especially, you know, character deaths. And as we're going deeper into this season, I'm, I'm writing lines of dialogue where it's like, okay, that happened here, or they said something so similar here. And in my mind, it's Jack paying homage to the Scott and Stonebridge years and the series as a whole to kind of bring those little bits back. Am I just imagining that or was that intentional? I, I don't think you are. No, I think Jack is, he's, he's got an amazing uh, ability to hold so much at once in his head. And I'm, you know, I didn't produce those shows, so I'm less familiar. I've watched them, obviously, but I'm less familiar. But um, I think like like um, Scott and Paul, when they're doing the music, they've got these motifs that run through that, you know, have come from earlier seasons that they will bring back at, at certain times. Um, I think Jack's the same. I think he is, uh, yeah, constantly aware of, of the big things that he's referencing and homaging. And then, of course, uh, you know, in the, just the sheer quantity of scripts that that man has written in the last... Mm-hmm. Uh, three years there is and you know with the tropes that that a show like strike back has you know the genre of action you do you do occasionally find yourself repeating beats or but it's always about trying to do it in a in a different way you know uh, or undercutting it or um, yeah just doing something surprising with it so I wouldn't surprise me at all if he is yeah if he is homaging back so what has do you think has been the most surprising lesson for you going from being this sort of like hands-on block producer to being the series producer this year? I think you always learn from the things that don't go well. I, in, for, well, me as a producer, that's, you know, the lessons I've always taken away with me is is those days on set that you sort of didn't see something coming and uh, how you managed to deal with that. I think series producing this year was just actually it was more about just the stamina of it sort of whereas before I could dip in and out and in between blocks I might try and you know go away for a few days just to sort of decompress it was basically being on from you know January 4th or whenever we went back to to November 2nd when we finally wrapped um and just the sheer relentlessness of of constantly trying to be in uh, in the story and, and being able to give Jack hopefully helpful uh, help, helpful tidbits, but then making sure I was across production. And, and thankfully, you know, you don't do it by yourself. I had an amazing production team, amazing line producer, a guy called Donovan uh, Roberts-Baxter, and, and of course, all the, all the HODs and, and the cast as well, who turn up and every day absolutely nail it, you know. So it's, uh, my job was made easier by the fact, I think, that it was the third season and well, with the new team, and there was a shorthand in a lot of in a lot of uh, departments um and we could all sort of hit the ground running but uh yeah i think like i say it's, it was just it was just the the level of the quantity of um of work but it doesn't really feel like work not when you're blowing stuff up and <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so I'm not complaining. It was it was a wonderful wonderful time in Croatia. It was a wonderful country to 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 get to explore, and you know we saved the best for last. I think with with one of the locations that we managed to find for for one of the big you know end sequences in Ep10, um, and we and sometimes you have to get luck as well. Like I was pretty. I was, I was pretty worried about the the sort of week away in in block in block five in episode for episode ten. We pre, we sort of had like seven days worth of work to do in six days, and it would need everybody to be on you know flying form and nothing to go wrong and the weather to be with us as well. And uh, do you know what? It, it all sort of worked out. I mean, the weather was the weather was brilliant. It was perfect, and um, not everything went to plan. We did have some. Uh, has some um, vehicles break down, which is sort of inevitable on strike back. For some reason, I don't know. It just always happens. You manage to buy a vehicle, it looks good, and then it breaks down. Just just when you need to shoot on it. <laughs> but but we all managed. Yeah, we managed to react, and, and Bill Eagles pulled off. I think a pretty spectacular final block. Yeah, so, yeah. So that I I'm assuming you're talking about the boat chase scene. Which I both Warren and Dan have mentioned in there. Warren, of course, mentioning doing like the second unit, you know, getting to be there and being a part of that. And, and, and being really glad that things are so chaotic that you guys let him do some things. And then Dan, of course, <laughs> saying of all the things to sort of go out on, it was spectacular. Yeah. No, I mean, it was great, actually. I really enjoyed working with Warren in that capacity. And I think it was hopefully helpful for him to see behind the scenes a little bit, see the work that goes into prepping a, a you know, a block. Because it is tricky for the actors, you know, they they get the scripts late uh, for these later blocks and then they turn up on set and we're asking them to do things that, um, you know, we've had weeks to come mm. to terms with and this is how it's going to be done and, and, and they're, uh, they have to respond just sort of in the moment. And I think, um, I think Warren, uh, yeah, I think he hopefully enjoyed and what you know, what always happens on the final block is I'm siphoning ca- cameras off left, right, and center. It's, it's you know, you've got a splinter unit of a splinter unit of a splinter unit, uh, shooting. You know, I, I end up shooting some bits, and Warren shooting bits, and then we've got second unit running and a main unit running up there with horses. And it is, you know, we took over a town basically in Obravats in, in Croatia, and they must have, they must, you know, be glad when we left because we made a hell of a. <laughs> um, but you just you have to sort of get it done, and we we had to come out of that week with all the material. There was no going back, you know. So, and and that's that's the great thing. Everybody pulls together, and and, and the boat chase I think is for me a, a sort of highlight because, sort of Bill said in his podcast, we tend to not ever be able to reach the heights of Bond, and you know we're not Bond. We don't have the two hundred million dollars that they have, but I think for the you know the two day shooting that we did get out on the river, I think it's pretty. I think I'm I'm very proud of that one. Yeah, well, it is a um, oh, it's it's beautiful. You know, it, it turned out really well. I have to tell you, as you've been speaking, you you've brought up all these different vehicles that were used in locations, and as I was watching these episodes, at one point I wrote in my notes, planes, trains, and automobiles, because was there a form of vehicle in eight through ten that you didn't use? <laughs> there's uh, even just an eight I'm like okay we have a tanker we've got a train we've got a helicopter we've got you know just the regular cars um uh, was, maybe... was this just him thinking I'm gonna dump as many vehicles <laughs> I can explode into these last three episodes pretty much I think you know the only thing what well, it doesn't have a donkey that's about it but, uh... <laughs> 
I think the thing about block five is it was sort of there were all these things we wanted to do that were left over and it was like you know Jack had always wanted to do something with horses I I wanted to do see if we could pull off skydiving you know we'd obviously we'd done the train in block block one but vehicles are, they're always a massive part of strike back and that it's interesting they always seem they're always qu- sort of quite a tricky thing logistically and production wise because each country has their own you know when we went to Jordan um, they don't really import cars so you know something that would cost you maybe a thousand pounds second hand here in the UK will cost you fourteen thousand pounds there now for a show that likes to blow up cars yeah you know, <laughs> your vehicle budget is is through the roof so but yeah again I come back to the fact that it, it was because of the great people in production and behind the camera that we managed to snaffle away enough cash for the final block that we could pull off you know all of these things in the the skydiving scene you know it, I did never thought we would be able to do something like that on strike back which was and it's only for a little sort of flash really it's only for a couple of seconds but it just gives a real scale you know to to, to the show I think so uh so yeah I think we did have pretty much most forms of transport I mean the other thing I've had this thing with strike back where for my entire entire time I wanted to get a tank into into the show and we managed to do it on block one <laughs> But that particular storyline kind of got written out, and unfortunately, we didn't end up using the material. So I had all these big armored trucks, and, <laughs> and so that was disappointing that I never quite managed never to get the tank. tank. There was that giant, like vehicle, whatever that was that they drove through the wall in the beginning, but it's not quite a tank. Yeah, the, oh, the M-Ram. M-Ram. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Yes, that was the military, and that was down to uh, the Croatian production company that we were working with, Embassy. They had a great relationship with the Croatian military and they were able to provide us these fantastic vehicles. And in episode uh, seven, you've got the, the, the helicopters at the start. Often, you know, you have to work to the military's time scale, And so they don't always want to shoot the day you want, need to shoot or want to shoot. But it just gives, it gives such um, uh, sort of epicness to the show. And it was definitely something I wanted to get back in this season because we, we were unable to get the military on board in season seven in Malaysia. So there was a sort of slight lack of militaryness at times, um, just vehicle-wise. But, uh, but yeah, I think we we use most vehicles, that's for sure. <laughs> and the team got, overall, had much nicer vehicles than they have in the past in this series, in this year. I was like, wow, it's not a crappy old car. They're driving <laughs> around in these really nice-looking SUVs. The Section 20 vehicles always, you know, you've got to sometimes fit all of them in it. Yeah. And off the camera. And so, yeah, they they often have to be sort of nice and flashy. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. I want to put in a bid for HBO to please just put out a DVD of all the deleted scenes or all the, like, stunts gone awry. Or that would just be so fun. Because we hear so much about, well, we we shot this, but it got (laughs) (laughs) And we're like, yeah. I mean, it is definitely a show that uh, I would always, you know, in the back of my mind, I'd always love a script when it's 48 pages because then you sort of know you're hovering around not necessarily having to cut out entire scenes. You're hovering around being able to trim it but but still maintain everything. But um, but in the writing, sometimes you, you need that extra fat there because you need to be able to discover in the edit what works and, and what doesn't and, and have that room to manoeuvre as well. So unfortunately, yes, there are, there's always every season the odd little bit that sort of hits the hits the floor. Yeah, yeah, it happens. 
Well, thank you so much for spending so much time with us. And, and we always wrap with uh, Deb's, as we call it, the Philip Winchester question, um, that especially, you know, you as a series producer, uh, God, I mean, it's not just six months of shooting up. <laughs> it's, a, it's a whole thing for you of a slog, but, but it seems like even you look back on it with rose-colored glasses. So we would like to know your highs and your lows for the season. Oh, for this season in Croatia or just overall? Overall. Yeah, either. Overall. Yeah. Um, gosh. Do you know what? I mean, quite often the bad days start bad, but they sort of, depending on how you react, they, they can become the good days as well. I mean, we've had... I remember a season, so season in Malaysia, we're shooting episode two, and we've got a helicopter coming in. And often, you know, I'd get to set early with with Bill. It was a Bill Eagles episode. Um, he gets to set early so that you can you can check the set and make sure everything's there and it's going to turn up. And there's the the big crate that Katrina has the fight on mm-hmm. in episode two, and you know, had the warhead in it. And it's sort of it's in the wrong place basically, which is is not normally a problem. So we get the um, get a forklift. But this, I'm looking at this forklift and I'm looking at this crate and I'm thinking, I don't think that's going to work. But um, it, it rained overnight and it often rained a lot in Malaysia. Actually. And this, this forklift goes about sort of, you know, 10 meters and then gets stuck in the mud. Uh, and I'm looking at my watch and I'm thinking, OK, so the helicopter's going to be here in like 40 minutes. And now we've got a forklift in the way, in the set, in the middle of the set. And um, the crate is still in the wrong place. So my, maybe my blood pressure is going up a little bit at this point, and there's a lot of running around and shouting. Um, I think in the end we we had to get two Range Rovers to pull the forklift out of the way. <laughs> and meanwhile, you know, 35, 40 members of the crew managed to move a half a ton crate. Oh my gosh! The set. So you know that went from being a very bad day to a very good day in the space in the space of sort of a couple of hours because the helicopter then, you know, was about 10 minutes late anyway. And it, it came in because those things are expensive. You know, the moment the rotors start turning, you're, you're paying money. So yeah, I mean, uh, there's a few times that in Jordan as well, we, um, we had, uh, we shooting with Trevor Eve, um, in the morning in a scene with the black Hawk and those things are, you know, incredible, um, to be around amazing bits of machinery. And it'd been a really good morning and it was beautiful sunshine. And then we moved sort of a couple of miles up the road to shoot in this gully where we're shooting the bit where Jane Lowry jumps out of the car before it flips with them, with Novin and Reynolds. And um, we sort of pass through where we're having lunch and there's this huge Bedouin tent and it's sort of billowing in the wind and it's it looks like it's going to take off. And so I call over Dell, our health and safety, and I'm like, this, you know, what's going on? This looks a bit dangerous. The wind has really picked up. And he said, oh, don't worry. It's fine. You know, as long as it's not sort of blowing 40 miles an hour, it will be all right. <laughs> so I said, well, what's it blowing at, Del? And 39. <laughs> well, he went and got his little little wind machine and he looked at it and he said, oh, it's, yeah, 40 miles an hour. <laughs> I'm like, right, okay. So then everybody starts to get very worried that we, we're not going to be able to shoot. So I, I rushed to the location where we're in this gully and MJ is... MJ is not very happy, wants to shoot. And I've got the local Jordanian uh, fixer um, who's, uh, you can't shoot, we've got, to, we've got to call it off, we've got to pull it. And this is day four on the job for me. So I'm pretty stressed. Um, and I think then he starts, yes, then he starts saying that there's going to be a flash flood um, because this this particular area is, is famous for flash floods. And I, I was, okay, right, well, you know, pulling an entire day shoot is a pretty massive thing. So, well, half a day shoot. 
So I just said, when will we know if there's going to be a flash flood? And he said, well, if it's raining in Akba. I said, well, is it raining in Akbar? And he said, well, I you know, I, can, I don't know. I'll call someone. And I said, well, how long would it take for the rain to travel? And so we worked out that it would take sort of 20 minutes for the rain to travel. Uh, so I said, well, you need to call your friend every 10 minutes yeah. to say, see if it's raining. And until you, until you tell me that it's raining, you know, yeah. every, and then, then, I'll pull, then I'll pull the shoot. But we managed to get through it and did the stunt. And the stunt uh, it was Ellie, who's um, Elin's stunt double. Did an amazing stunt for us that day. So, yeah, I remember returning to my hotel and I thought, oh, God, if, if every day on set, <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure I'm cut out for this. But now I'm back at that and I, I think I think if I realise that Jordan, those 11 days in Jordan, kind of made me, set me up, you know, as able to go on. So I think for me, I've... I've loved every every day I've ever been on Strike Back. So, but there have there have been these moments that have obviously yeah always been challenging. On me, back to the crib. Hey guys, welcome back. We are excited. You heard from our next guest all about last season, uh, and so we had to have him come on because he was a fan favorite. Everybody, welcome Fraser McDonald. Thank you for coming on again. Hello again. How are you? I'm doing good. The the very blonde, not redheaded Fraser <laughs> <laughs> Okay, all right, okay. Can I just oh no. I'm not, not that I've got anything against ginger people. It's just you a bland not. <laughs> it's just a bland stereotype that Warren Brown likes to fling in every now and then. So I just every you know, as is as is one. And I'll probably get a lot of stupid accents get thrown at me now as well, because they all try and do Scottish accents really badly. Like being at a bad Scotty convention from Star Trek, you know. <laughs> what to be fair, Warren's is probably the best. It's better than Jamie's, and it's all much better than Dan's. But um, yeah, it was just a, it was just a point of order. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, Scottish <laughs> accents are hard, and I will tell you on this episode, Jack on Jack's facts, he has like a joke that he wrote. I don't even remember what the joke was, and it says, "Please say this in your best Scottish accent." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> it's terrible. It's really terrible. I tried like three times, and I sound terrible. What's the joke? Oh, so. should you tell me? Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I can tell you that he said if any American audience gets this, um, uh, will you have my undying respect? Oh, so what he said? Uh, there's been a a murder at Fur Hill. There's a murder at Fur Hill every fortnight. And I was like, yep, don't get it. <laughs> that is not for me. <laughs> okay, do you want me to explain it? Or... Oh, please, nah. yes. Yeah, yeah. All right, Fur Hill's, um, Fur Hill's a football stadium in uh, Glasgow, uh, home to Partick Thistle. And they will play there every two weeks, which is a fortnight, obviously. Uh -huh. okay. So there's been a murder, so they lose every two weeks at home. Okay. <laughs> that's nice. All right, that's, thank that's you. That's the joke. <laughs> It's a bit of a niche joke. There'll be only about 10,000 people that really get that. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, that seems like Jack. Well, I guess let me start off then by asking you, you know how crazy the experience of Strike Back and, and, and shooting Strike Back is. How mm -hmm. crazy then are you to have come back for a second season? <laughs> uh, um... Not that crazy. I think an I would call it more of a adrenaline junkie. Would that be make, make more okay. sense? Yeah. I, I mean, no, it was it was a no brainer really because um, it's not just 
the craziness of the experience as as everybody talks about is the people that you go you you go through it with that makes the the journey that much better and the experience that much better and to come back to the vast majority of the crew that I'd worked with in Malaysia the foreign crew that I'd worked with in Malaysia were back uh, in Croatia uh, it was kind of a no-brainer really for me to when they, I got asked back as I sort of hinted at last you know there was a couple of other jobs on the horizon but to come back and do straight back was it was kind of yeah you can't you can't sit and film people in a kitchen for a wee while just talking <laughs> and, those and, are the uh, options in life <laughs> no absolutely and and also um i sort of bumped into jack and nilla before I'd, I'd gone for a meeting with them before and they'd sort of explained a rough outcome of what was going to happen and it and obviously it'd been the last season and it was again. It was a no-brainer. It was like you have to be part of that. You couldn't just. I couldn't just be part of four episodes. So the possibility of of, of staying for a whole ten episodes, which ended up happening, was was great. And spent and seeing a job right the way, ten episodes right the way from the very beginning to the very end is something that I've never really had a chance to do. Oh wow! And that that was that was quite a, that was quite astounding, you know. Because normally you'd you'd come in and you do your two eps and you're away. So you're only there really if you're starting off right for the very beginning or right for the very end, you know, or in the middle. So to be there for the see the whole story arc and the whole and journey of them of this the series was great, you know, and to be part of it. So yeah, yeah. So madness, possibly adrenaline, yet yeah, definitely, but definitely it was the the lure of the lure of the show and of the people that make it. So and the cast as well, obviously, who make it. But uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely to be part of that, and Croatia as well, because I think Dan hinted on it. Like Croatia is just—it's uh, one of those countries that gets under your skin, and uh, it's an amazing, amazing, amazing country. And it's only on my doorstep as well. It's only two and a half hours away from me, and it's amazing. Just never been there before. Yeah. And it was, yeah, spent seven months in that company, in the company of those people in that countryside, and doing the things that we were doing on straight back was just—it was—it's not a job. Just a gift, really. <laughs> a gift and an emotional. <laughs> I feel like you guys now talking about Warren. Um, yeah. So, yeah. We've Don't tried talk. to set this up as a no cry zone this uh-huh. week. You've already <laughs> violated that. <laughs> I mean, come on, we were crying talking to Bittis. We have to stop. Oh crying. my God. Well, I cry talking to Bittis for the other, other reasons. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was not one when we started crying, and he's like, "What? What? What? What?" And we were like, "It's not. It's probably not you. It's probably not you." Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was stopping these tracks. Yeah. So what an opportunity to be there for the mm. entire season, and as you said, that's it's that was a unique opportunity for you. So what did you learn? over that season that sort of surprised you? I mean, I definitely became much, I definitely became much more confident in my action. I did a lot more fights this year and uh, and, I de- and also I worked a lot more now with my unit. I, I sort of had a unit that was constant. So the second unit and I was with them for most of it. So, uh, well, I say constant. We had, um, we changed DOPs. We had a, a really good DOP to start a British DOP called Andre. Austin, who was with us at the start, and then he left in block three, and I managed to get a really, really good Croatian DOP called Mario Delash, 
for the last two for the last two blocks, and he was fantastic. And and I and got a great AD so um, called Tony O'Hearn, my dog Tony, who I think Eileen is a big fan of. So she like calls him um, Mad Dog Tony. So that that was great. We had a, a really tight knit team for us this year, and uh, and it was something that we could. Uh, I talked about rolling with the punches last year, and it was definitely as we came up to block five that everybody was up and running to speed, and it was great. Uh, and they were just brilliant people. So def- what did I definitely learn? I definitely learned uh, uh, leaps and bounds. I mean, it's, until you do the next job, you can't really know. But I don't know that I've come away with definitely a, a big bit of knowledge, big bit of knowledge working um, on the show. You know, I mean that. Uh, it's always the same but different, if that makes sense. You know, yeah. but yes, you 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 walk in and uh, there are certain sequences that you know you can do, but you want to do them differently. There's there's a few sequences that have been done this year that I'm very proud of. That there's one coming up, especially. I'm not going to mention, but um, it's something that I was very proud of, especially because I was ill the day I shot it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but there's a yeah. A little, a few little things that have happened in the this, this series has definitely been highlights for me. Yeah, no, it's great, it's a great experience. Well, you have to share those. <laughs> oh. Uh, oh well, I, I mean, um, there's a section in, in block one in episode one where, um, I mean, this is where it kind of hit home to me about Croatia. Was uh, I, I, I was responsible for a lot of the drone camera work on block one so we were chasing chasing the train mm-hmm. which meant that we actually the train started in a small town called Kinin and and it would travel 20 kilometers to an, an abandoned station in another town called uh, Christensen Christangi sorry to the Croatian friends so that 20k so there was very we had, I had to scout certain points uh, along that 20k where we could fly a drone from to get all those shots, and that was mm-hmm. coordination. Because we we did that train stuff over two days in the rain, and the thunder and lightning, uh, <laughs> which was quite quite mental. But uh, what was I talking about? Yeah, the, what really hit home to me about Croatia because the other thing that sort of like the underlying thing about Croatia is it's historically it's actually just just had a conflict of its own, you know, in the last 25 years, the Balkan, right. the Yugoslav War. And uh, a lot of the crew that my age, or, or, or even a little bit younger, actually fought in the war or, or, or definitely experienced it, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. So okay. it, was, it was quite interesting, a lot of, to, with the crew, to go through this sort of, their experiences of things, of the Balkans, of the war, of military, of action and stuff. But especially in Canine, because this town of Canine was where the fighting first broke out. And uh, we actually had to hire out a local goat herd to take us to the places where we could fly the drone from because he knew they get the best vantage points, but also goats would wander into fields and disappear. I'd uh, be blown up by... Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. That really, that, I remember, really hit home to me that we were still sort of like an area of creation still has that remnant that are really not so distant remnant of what conflict you know and that's what we were dealing with at the same time so it was quite it was quite interesting that was for block one so and then that and that undercurrent sort of like i think it fed through and i think it fed through i know jamie was quite affected by it uh because he really we started reading up me and him about and watch 
about the, the Yugoslav war and the Yugoslav conflict, and uh, and it being the undercurrent of where Coltrane and the right. and the whole because well there yeah it's episode eight so you find out why Zayef is like Zayef yeah and it comes from that conflict yeah. You know? Uh, Again, so, one of the strengths of the show is you yeah. know, that we are able to connect and have empathy to the baddie. Oh. And, yeah. Oh. But it was really, really well done, I think, drawing that connection. So both Jamie and uh, Jack, we talked a little bit about it and how, like, you're sort of honoring that past while still remembering to be strike back. Mm. And yeah. I think that, that's like a really, it was... Uh, really nicely done and it was like touching and you see this like sort of conflict within Coltrane and yeah I thought it was yeah it was great although I still in episode eight when when Zayev tells him like I forgive you I was like oh god this is crazy <laughs> I mean, the thing about Alex Sekiru as well is such an amazing he's such an amazing actor again yeah. like I, I mean what is it about Alex Actors called yeah, right. Alec, have to get in. And, yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, Alec is uh, much like Alec Newman has that undercurrent of just menace, you know, but yeah. then can smile and it's like, you know, take your heart away almost. Yeah. And Alec, Alec was definitely one of those characters. He, he, you know, it's a hard one to play as I have, the fine balance between being a, a, a madman or a man, you know, yeah. or, or uh, an obsessive. And uh, I think um, definitely Zayef, he, he, tra- he travels that line really well, Alec. And he was a pleasure to work with, you know, and he thought he was great in this episode. They're really sort of like almost darkly humorous as well, you know. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I, I only shot him the once, you know, to, you know, just those little moments that he kind of knows that he's got them, you know, even yeah. though he's tied up and stuck there, he's, he's got them, you know, they're, yeah. they're there. And if it wasn't for the fact that he, his believers, his followers followed them too much, then he would have won. So it's, it's a really interesting piece of writing. Yeah. And the realisation for Section 20, I think, as well. Because there was a scene that we did in um, Block Episode 5 when they meet Spencer coming off a helicopter. Uh, which always, for me, was quite an important scene because it's what Jamie says is there's a lot of... Um, recalls to things, but foreshadowing as well. It's kind of an Amobius strip. Where he talks about being a blunt instrument. That mm-hmm. Section 20 is the blunt instrument. When I remember reading that, I remember I remember distinctly the description of Pavel. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. And by, by this Russian general as the blunt instrument. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it was, a, for me, that, that line when... Because Jamie um, Coltrane heard that. So he knew that, the you know, there was a recall about going rogue, being a blunt instrument, all yeah. that metaphor going in. I don't know whether it was intended, but I, that to me was the start of when you start to realise what's going on with the British government <laughs> or mm-hmm. this rogue, um, Spencer going rogue and using Six and 20 to be his in- blunt instrument. Yeah, mm-hmm. I hadn't... See, this is why we have you guys come on. Because I had not made that connection. I'm just sitting here going like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, 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 that makes sense. So episode eight is insane. Um, mm. You know, when I watch the, the, the episodes the first time, I take a lot of notes, and I always, like, write sort of in 
kind of like big like capital letters things that sort of shock me because you know they're like things I want to reference later and my notes are like half a page of just like <laughs> holy shit this happened oh my god this happened oh my god this happened it is like mind it's it's the like biggest what the fuck episode I think we've ever had. um so I, yeah right so I am curious for you when you are like getting the scripts and stuff and as you're going through them and realizing what you're going to shoot, what for you was your biggest, like, holy shit, I can't believe we're going to do that moment. Well, uh, well, block four was always going to be a hard one to do for me. I mean, only because um, it was following block three <laughs> and you knew exactly what was happening. And so we needed to either reconfigure or re not redux, but just you knew you had to come out in a high with it. So for Jack to, I think the Ariana moment was quite mm -hmm. a biggie. I remember when he told me that, he said, what do you think? And I went, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then, yeah, I'm going to go for it. I was like, okay. But yes, that was definitely. And, and because I think knowing, thinking that you're, because this blog was about redemption really, isn't it? It's about the idea of, of, of reforming redemption and, and moving on, for want of a better term. It's not about revenge yet, I don't think. <laughs> and it's about the, how our team, you know, fill the gap, so to speak, move on, who's the bravo. And I think, I think Jack handled that quite well. I, I, I really like the moments of stillness to begin with, and then especially in, on the raids, as, as we start from, from the, the madness and the madness of... Um, episode six at the end of the episode six the sheer emotion that to sort of come in and be still and then start a raid up and as you pointed out you know and then to keep that going into episode seven introduce all these layers at the fbi or the cia sorry and then spencer who spencer is death spencer death is is so we're killing off all our major baddies but we're not so to speak we're just yeah. introduced the major baddie um in ariana and uh, so, and set, and set it up really nicely for what's hopefully going to be one of the biggest climaxes yet. Yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> so, can you tell us what the the major scenes are that you had in episode eight? Because it sounds like you had a lot of the reveal parts of the episode. I, I, I did the I did the end scene, the revealing Ariana. So I suppose that's the big one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the car and, and reveals that she's a Russian agent. Um, the, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember. Uh, quite a few things. Uh, not so, uh, I did uh, little, little things here and there, but I mean, mainly I, I did quite a bit in episode seven, not eight. Uh, episode seven, we did uh, Zayef, a lot of uh, Zayef and Lorik and Ariana, lots of scenes, little scenes like that. So, but also um, working mainly as backup for the main unit as well in this one, because as you can imagine, the the insurgent camp strike in episode seven was mm -hmm. a massive, massive sequence that took a few days to shoot. But in, you know, especially with all those heavy machinery that we had, so that was quite a quite a complex job to do. So it was all hands on deck for that. So we were a lot of um, argumenting with the main unit. Uh, as Bridges probably pointed out, that uh, we only had the helicopter for one day, yeah. uh, and and then um, 
so we had quite a lot to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was great. That's what straight back is, you know. It's you, you just run into full gunning all the time. Yeah. So that reveal scene is so crazy. And uh, I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about working with Ivana in that because she's just, she's incredible. She is. I mean, and, and we, and she starts to really, you really start to get to know who she is coming up as well. You know, I mean, what you think is, what you think you think is not what you think you think. What you think. <laughs> it is, uh, but we're not thinking correctly. You're not thinking, thinking what you're thinking. There are things you know that you don't know. She's great. I mean, she, she, I mean, she is creation by, you know, and she, she's just, she fell into that part great. And she's a bundle of joy to work with. Uh, her and um, Maxim, who played Loric, were great together. As well, Alec, when she played to Alec, she knows how to be, she knows how to make you scared, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but in a nice way, in a nice way, not, not, um, and she knows, she just knows how to work the camera really well uh, and knew that part really, really well. You know, she had good, com- good questions and good answers for things as well. Yeah, and I mean, after coming off a of Banshee, you know, and yeah. to do this, it's a real pleasure, a real joy to work with her. Yeah, she's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and she's such a presence about her that, like, mm. you just, as soon as she's on the screen, it's like eyes on her, you know, yeah. just something about, yeah, she's incredible. Yeah, she she, can, she knows how to work a camera really, really. I mean, she, I mean it takes 50% of your job away from you because, you know, she just got a really good camera technique and she loves shooting a gun <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect job for her in a way yeah so uh, i have a question so i you know you hear people talk about that they know how to work the camera right so as someone not in the industry i'm like she doesn't know, like where it is can you explain what you mean when you use that or is it sort of like that I know it when I see it, or is there like a technical it's, yeah, aspect it's, to it? It's a kind of a know it when you see it. It's, it knows it. the best way to describe it. I suppose the lens, the lens, you know, the, the the idea that television exaggerates or the lens exaggerates things. So uh, this is the, one of the many things, facets of working a camera. But the lens can exaggerate things, so an arm movement or an eye movement can seem arch or overbearing, or like so. Knowing what works and what doesn't work, what how you control your face or your body, etc., to the camera, because and what lens works when and where, uh, depending on what depending on what lens, wide angle lens. Uh, but it's uh, an actor, an actress knows how to manipulate that. And knows what works where, and you know how to control their body in such a way. So a little movement, like an arch of an eyebrow, may look be the thing, only thing that gets picked up by the camera, because uh, the rest okay. of the face is still. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know, whereas if you if you're moving too much, you can lose all the emotion and stuff. So something that knows how to what what works well on camera, how to work a camera. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, does that, does that, that makes sense. Yeah. No, it does absolutely. Yeah. I thank you. <laughs> I think, I think, I mean, there's a classic for me, the classic scene, I'm going on well off piste, we got a classic scene um, in Goodfellas, uh-huh. uh, when Robert De Niro, Ray Lilletta and Joe Pesci all go back to Joe Pesci's, who's meant to be Joe Pesci's, Martin Scorsese's mother, Yeah. and they go around the dinner table and they've just killed Billy Schmartz, and he's in the back of the car, and, they're, and, they're having, and she wakes up and gives them breakfast. Uh-huh. 
Robert Dini, Joe Pesci's talking, it's Joe Pesci's scene. And Joe Pesci's talking, 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 talking about his mum, and she brings out this pen. Robert Dino picks up a ketchup bottle, and instead of slapping it on the back like that, does that. He, he rolls it in his hands. Now, partly, I would like to think that that's because he didn't want that noise going over Joe Pesci's dialogue. Right. But all I can do during that scene is watch Robert De Niro rolling a ketchup bottle and not look at Joe Pesci. And that's knowing how to work the camera. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that makes total sense. And I think that probably describes what, so we just called, <laughs> I don't know if you ever listen to our things about Warrior and Joe Taslam's character. He's phenomenal and he's not a huge character, but he walks in the room and you're, you cannot but help but look at him. Part of it is because he's insanely attractive, but he just, <laughs> the way he moves is like amazing. And, and uh, I think Kieran Bue, we talked to him and he was like, oh, yeah. you, he walks in and you're like, that's what magnetism is or something. Um, yeah. But I think what you're saying makes, it gives me like a lens to look at it and go, I think that's a lot of what that is. Is yeah. that like knowing, yeah, so thank you. Yeah, no, so, I mean, if you think of all the classic sort of like Western heroes as well, people like Lee Van Cleef and, you know, uh, James Coburn, all these guys, they did very little. Even Clint Eastwood does very little, you know. When you watch his performance, there's very little going on. Mm-hmm. But when something happens, it happens and everybody notices. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, I spent years working as a um, stage manager and you see that in the theatre that, uh-huh. you know, you spend all day, every day with these actors, and there are just a tiny handful of them that the second those lights go on, it's like they're a completely different person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's that difference that whatever it is, they've got it, and you just yeah. can't stop looking at them. And, I, in fact, I work with a woman who is a, a dancer, and, you know, every day you're just like, oh, that's just Gina, whatever. And the second those lights hit her on stage, you're like, holy Mm. what i mean it's like she's completely different person and you're just like oh my god and and that's how you know ivana is on screen like whoa Mm. you just can't stop looking at her but um completely different topic here (laughs) Um, i'm wondering if there are there are parts of scenes or scenes that you filmed that you were excited about that got cut because we keep hearing about all these really cool things that never made it to the episode. So what do you have to tell us? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, no, I, luckily, I, uh, most of the stuff I've done has been in it, if, if not a little bit truncated. The trouble is, is um, so much went on. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think there's something coming up in episode 10 that may that has been cut that I know has been cut that we shot that did get cut and I don't know if Jack will talk about it but maybe it's something to talk about later. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I mean there's there's a couple of things that um, no, actually no, quite a bit quite a bit of it's still in, in actually. I mean it may have been cut differently just for time, but that's only to do with time and stuff. No, most of it's still in actually. You know, as much as I, as much as I think. I mean, we did quite a lot. It's, it's hard to remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is a jam-packed season, that is yeah. for sure. I yeah. did walk you. I did say there was a lot of action this year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, but, you keep thinking, what else can they do? Okay, here you go. Here's what else we can do. Yeah. 
but also, I mean, you did say uh, how where will the emotion come from? But it's it's really interesting, isn't it? The, oh, the, man. It's so much. It's actually like this double the amount of everything at yeah. the moment. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it is almost unbelievable the way that that they have that they you guys <laughs> have have managed to to do that. You have these incredible. Yeah, I mean, the action is so ramped up, but the emotion, I mean, my God, like, episode five and six, are, they, oh. don't cry, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> um, seven and eight have had that, you know, not necessarily as in your face, but, mm-hmm. you know, you're really hurting along with them, and the littlest things, you know, like a couple lines from Chetri where she just breaks referring to bravo one or you know that's what this show does so well is that you know yeah people think it's just bombs and bullets and but it's those tiny little quiet moments that just kill you yeah and also going back even back to you know episodes three and four with uh, katrina yasmin coming back you know the fragility yasmin you know katrina's part sorry not yasmin um the fragility of Katrina knowing seeing what she's had to go through and what she's trying to get to get back yeah. to where she was. You yeah. know, the way she deals with twenty. So right. I think I think it's just it's, it's been really it's been it's quite nice it's been quite an overarching series but very microscopic in its moments, if you know right. what I mean. Right. Yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. It is it it definitely and I think we've said it, it feels like Somebody let Jack off his leash, you know, it being yeah. the series, the and then he just put his whole heart into it, and mm-hmm. um, it's it's both like yay and like you're gonna give Aww. us this, and then we're gonna be done. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> you just like, raise uh, the bar, and then you're like, see ya, uh, see you later. And I'm glad you talked about the how, you know so much of it references things that have happened before in Strike Back because that's, my notes are full of that. Like, oh, they said that in, in Shadow Warfare. Or, oh, this happened there. That he has, like, throughout the entire thing, paid homage and, and paid respect to the episodes and the seasons mm. that came before, and which I have just loved. <laughs> Absolutely. And I don't pick up on so. at all. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Easter eggs that we try and put in every now and then, you know. I tried to do a couple, but um, it stopped after two uh, two blocks. But uh, unfortunately, so oh. I was I was I did that. Well, you picked up on it. I did the kitchen when I did the kitchen fight uh, with Novin in episode one. You picked up on the Nikita reference. Uh, yeah, I think uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Deb mentioned it. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. Nikita, yeah. You said. Yeah, right. I yeah. <laughs> it feels like it's been forever ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a kitchen fight in Venice with uh, Novin, yeah. and she get, and then uh, you said it was just like Nikita. Nikita, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Which is purely intentional. Yes, it was. Yay! <laughs> That's awesome. Yay me! <laughs> yeah. And then, because uh, I, I thought I, I sort of jokingly said to Jack and some of the directors that I was, I said I'm going to try and get some references to this genre of filmmaking called cinema de look. I don't know if. You know, it's a French a French from films from the 80s, so it was like Luc Bisson, Jean-Jacques Benny, Louis Carax. And I managed to do it in the first two blocks, but then I couldn't do it again. But I managed to get, um, so Nikita, mm-hmm. and I managed to get a, a wee nod to a film called Diva as well, which is uh, with the scooter chase. 
okay. Uh, I'm writing that down. I see Deb is like, I see her head reach over. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Off-season diva. Well, I love Nikita. Yeah. Was, oh, I remember seeing it on like you know, late at night on HBO or something. And I was just like, oh, man, is this awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, know it's a great like, film. Like nobody ever gets anybody you else. Can, you can't do a you can't do a kitchen fight without with Nolan and not reference Nikita. You know? Right. Yeah, especially when she was like crouched at the end of the work. I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, like happy. He's like, yeah, you got it, you got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the pasta. Yeah, yeah. That was um, that was that that was my that was my first scene I shot on straight back. Um, that scene, uh, and that's where the classic um line i think um what can i squib an onion came came from adam howarth <laughs> um, our special <laughs> effects supervisor he asked he asked if it would be okay if he should put some gun squibs in an onion <laughs> of course adam of course <laughs> you squib whatever you want <laughs> go go for it oh, that's amazing okay, uh, i'm crying uh, i'm just squibbing onions <laughs> yeah let's squib an onion uh yeah so, and that was the running joke. That became a running joke throughout the series, actually, with poor Adam. Yeah. You guys do really love blowing up vegetable stands, though. I have to <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Oh, and thank you so much again for coming back and and chatting with us and right. and everything. We we love it. And like I said, everybody loved your you know hearing from you last time. So we we're excited to get to do it again. And. As you know, we finish with our final question, which is Deb's uh, Philip Winchester question. Yeah. Uh, you've gone through the shit. You've got your rose-colored glasses on. Give us your highs and lows. Oh, um, high was just Croatia in general. Croatia's just the people, my crew, you know, Mario, Delic, Do, Lana, Luca, Tony, all those guys, Ivan. I would mention them all, but I haven't got enough time. They're all great. Mm-hmm. Um, spending that amount of time with them, brilliant. Uh, and then, you know, I ended up being the only native English speaker in the, the crew after a while. Okay. And I, wow. and, yeah. And Zagreb, I mean, Zagreb is just such an amazing city. And they, they took me and Zagreb to my heart. So, yeah, it's great. Lowe's. I mean, Bidis, actually, Bidis nearly made me cry when I listened to you. <laughs> When he talked about his low about, I mean, I wasn't there for, I'd gone early. I'd gone, I'd left on the Saturday rather than going to the pub with them lot. But the fact that he said once it all finished and everybody started leaving, he got a wee bit sad about that. And I, that's very, I sort of went, yeah. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to leave before everybody else. But uh, yeah, no, that was a big thinking, thinking that you'll hopefully see these people again. And maybe we will, maybe we won't. I mean, in Malaysia, we kind of you kind of had a feeling that we might all get together again. This time, we're not too sure. Mm. <laughs> might be a straight-back reunion, I don't know. Um, yeah, that was pretty hard. Um, another one is, as well, yeah, no, that's about, I'd say that's the biggest one, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully I'll still keep, still keep in touch with a lot of them. We still WhatsApp each other and message each other. Get to work with each other again, hopefully. You know, if I got a chance, I'd hire everyone that I work with, you know, uh, on straight back, because they're all great. Thanks, and tune in next week for another Need to Know session at the Crib. Follow us on Twitter, at Strike Back Crib. Out. Out.